Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hey everybody, this is Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and lives of broadcast news reporters and anchors delivering a behind-the-scenes look at their careers, methods, best practices, and some personal stories from the trenches of journalism. Today we have my friend Jamie Bittner, who has a really interesting story in the sense that she, about six months ago, was not a reporter. Uh, she was an executive producer at a TV station that I worked at. And now she is a full-fledged on-air TV reporter. So, Jamie, thanks for uh, making the time this morning. Thanks for having me, Bo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's funny because if, if somebody would have asked me 12 months ago, if somebody would have came up to me and said, um, Bo, 12 months from now, you will not be reporting. And your 11 p.m. executive producer, Jamie Bittner, will be reporting. I would have been like, uh, no, you're, you're crazy. Like that's their how that doesn't even make sense. That makes no sense. But here we are. Here we are. That is the case. And I love it. I think it's very fascinating. And I, and I love what it says about, you know, uh, the, the industry and really just life that, you know, changes can happen. And, um, you know, it, you can make things happen. So let's let's walk through. So you're at you're at Fox 43 in is it Harrisburg? Yes, it's the Tegna-owned station, Fox 43, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I cover a lot of the capital region, and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to be covering this area because there are a lot of major stories happening in this area every day because you have access to lawmakers, and you can really make a change in these parts, and that's what I like, and even in the first few months, I've seen many of my stories make a big impact around here because of the fact that you have such access to a lot of the public officials that are making those laws and regulations. Yeah, that's, I used to work in Hartford, Connecticut, which was a capital and I felt the same way, you know, just being able to walk across. I mean, we could like literally walk to the, to the capital where our station was in Hartford. And so if you needed, you know, a lawmaker soundbite or needed a reaction to a story about a law or anything, you know, it, it definitely changes the game um, and it opens up some yeah, different and, doors. Yeah, and it's been very, it's been a lot of fun for me because I'm finally being able to meet the same people I've been talking to on the phone for many years from Pittsburgh. Um, I had a lot of great connections, a lot of great sources in Pittsburgh, and now I'm getting to meet a lot of people face to face that I've known their voice so well. But um, since I was not the person that normally went out in the field, uh, for daily newscasts, I would always know them through the phone <laughs> only. And now I actually get to meet them in person. That's been very exciting. Yeah, that must be cool. Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, you don't have to get too personal with it. But I mean, how did it come about? Because I, I honestly don't know the full, full story. How did it come about that you, you know, after, well, first of all, how many years had you been a producer um, just in your career? Oh. Wow. Um, I started producing in 2005 um, and I just kind of fell into it. Um, and I always tell people that I never wanted to be a specialist in just one part of this industry. I always wanted to be someone who was a well-rounded individual that knew every job in the newsroom and understood how it all worked together. Because I think being a producer makes me a better reporter. Being a reporter makes me a better producer because you understand what all aspects of a newsroom are dealing with. But it's funny because in college, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. Um, and I was really back and forth between, do I want to be on air? Do I want to be behind the scenes? And because I have a pretty calm demeanor, a lot of people pushed me towards producing. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed reporting in college. I actually won a Hearst Award for reporting in college. Um, but producing came along first. And I, I liked producing just as well uh, because I, I believe producing – has a whole different host of demands to it. And when you're a really excellent producer, uh, you'll realize very quickly it's a very, very hard job. And it's a job that takes a lot of organization and management of your emotions. And it also takes someone who can be a leader without making everyone else in the, in the field and in the control room feel like things are out of control. I think that we saw that a lot with the synagogue shooting, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, Bo. But um, it's, it's very key that you have a calm and steady producer in the control room because things can really ripple out of control quickly if the producer doesn't feel in control. And I did love that aspect of it. I love the organization. I love that I knew everyone's stories, not just my own 
and it was thrilling. It really, really was. But um, as I went to TAE, I started transitioning more into documentaries as well. And then um, I became the head of elections at WTAE. And all that was very exciting as well. And I was um, starting to do a lot more in the field at that point. And they were a lot bigger stories. And there was a lot of writing that I was doing. And I, I reached this pivot in my career where I said, do I want to go to an even bigger market as a producer? Or do I want to make a switch? And I think the industry is in a little bit of a change right now where a lot of things are going more digital as well and a lot of roles are being combined. I think you're seeing that a lot with the MMJ roles as well. Um, and it was a tough choice to make because I do love producing. I've loved it forever. I am very good at it and I've enjoyed it. But I felt it was the time of life that I needed something new and different and something that I would feel challenged every day rolling out of bed. And so I think that decision first came off that I said, well, where do I want to go with content in the future? And the more I thought about it, I said, I would really like to dive deeper into investigative content. I've been going to IRE for several years. I've been learning a lot of skills. Paul Van Osdo was a wonderful mentor to me at WTAE. And it actually was um, my best friend, Lauren Sweeney, who you know very well, who gave me the final kick because she said, Jamie, as you do harder and harder stuff, she said, you're just going to get frustrated. She goes, I know you, you're just going to get frustrated that you can't be the person who sees it through the execution. Um, she said, you're probably going to want to take ownership of it eventually. And I think she was right on that because I think as a producer, I enjoyed producing a lot, but um, as I was getting into those bigger, bigger content roles where I was doing a lot more interviews and a lot more field shoots, it was getting harder to turn it over to somebody else because those stories become very personal to you after a while. And luckily at TAE, I worked with wonderful talent and they made all the content sing and they worked just as hard as I did in every step of the way. But I really sat back and I thought about it and I said, you know, I think I'm going to give it a try and see. I was really great at it in college. I think I can be really great at it here as well. And went to IRE and I kind of shuffled my resume to everybody. Um, I interviewed in Houston, I interviewed in San Jose for uh, producing jobs. And so I was interviewing in some really big markets. Um, but it was, it was really a interview with my current news director. Um, I sat down with him at IRE and we just had a five minute conversation. And he said, look, I'd love for you to come on board. I'll let you do investigative content. I'll let you do promotables. And he said, I want someone who wants to be a journalist, not just someone who wants to be on TV. And that really hit the core of my heart that I said, that's what I want. And so luckily he gave me that opportunity and it's been wonderful. And I'm, I'm really glad I did it. I don't regret ever being a producer. I love that as well, but I just see this as a new chapter in my career and I can't wait to see what I do from it with it from here. And I just hope to keep the ball rolling and uh, get bigger and bigger stuff. And I think already what I learned as a producer is making me a better reporter. So it's been great. And I was amazed at how many people who wrote me afterwards and said, um, I always thought you should have been on air and who were so supportive of me. And, um, and it was incredible the amount of people who were rooting for me to do this. And, you know, I, that's what I would say for people, you know, I mean, when it comes to thinking about what you want to do, I, I think that just people should never hold themselves back thinking that you can't do that because, um, as long as you put in the work and you are you are good at what you do and you're committed to what you do, you can excel at any role you're in, whether it's producing, reporting, directing. Um, if you have the heart and the passion for it, you're going to excel at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it takes a lot of bravery to make a switch like that, um, you know, 14 years into your career when, you know, because a lot of people just get comfortable in a role. And even though they might not yeah. be happy, they kind of just choose comfort over what could be, you know, happiness down a different road, but you know, you, 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 you made the harder choice. And I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, like, let's just say it looks like you've hit the ground running. I've watched a couple of your packages and definitely see like the Facebook lives and it seems like you're doing great. So that's awesome. But let's just say hypothetically, even if it had flopped, you know, you could always just go right back to producing. So it's like, you know, people right. I think should keep that in mind. Well, and what I love about this is that, I've opened myself up to so many more opportunities in the future because I didn't pigeonhole myself into one part of this 
past career. Uh, because I've been willing to do all aspects of a newsroom, um, I have so many more opportunities ahead of me. And uh, I think that's what it, what it comes down to is that, you know, it's a lot of times when you take chances, it actually increases your ability to market yourself in the future in an even better capacity. Uh, because, you know, I just the amount of skills that you learn on both sides of it really brings a lot to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I feel like a thousand doors just opened up for you, you know, if you see this through and, and do this for, you know, a couple of years or a year, year or two. Um, because then, right. And I would say, yeah. Yeah. And I would say, truthfully, the hardest part of making a transition, and I would say this for anybody who's thinking about it at home, is finding the person who's willing to really sit down and listen to you and know you're serious about it. Because there's a lot of news directors who, uh, like people to stay in certain roles. And I was very thankful that I found my current news director who he sat down, asked me what journalism I like to do, uh, what I wanted to do in the future. And he knew I was serious about it. And he really listened to me and he took that chance on me. And I think that's wonderful because I think everyone is a journalist in a newsroom, not just the reporters. And that's the same thing I always told my producers when I was an executive producer, I was a day side executive producer, I was a night side executive producer. And I told everyone, everyone is a journalist in this room. Everyone has a journalism degree, not just the reporters. So I always expected my producers to make calls, to be able to write packages. And so I think that's where the industry is heading to. The more you know how to do and the more confident you are in what you're doing, the better you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I I love, you know, I think sometimes producers do fall into that trap of, you know, getting into the monotony of like, oh, my job is just to stack the show and whatnot and A block, B block. And, but, you know, I used to love when you and and uh, there was a guy named Eric at our station would make phone calls, you know, out to people and, and you know, or, or I'd see you write a package and I'd be like, wow, that's really good. You know, and I almost kind of forgot myself. So it's very, very true that everyone, you know, has to be a journalist in the newsroom and, you know, be questioning things and, and making phone calls and, you know, pitching in and, and, uh, and it makes for a much better newscast and a much better product and, you know, top to bottom. So we'll, we'll talk about right. I mean, what is it, what has it been like, um, switching to reporter? I mean, what was the, what's been the hardest thing, um, about this transition? Cause now you're, you know, from day one, you're, you're out there, um, you know, you're on TV, you have different demands and, and, you know, uh, you're on the total flip side of deadlines. Um, so, so, you know, instead of being the producer, you're the reporter. So what has that been like? Yeah, I mean, you'll laugh, but I always tell people the hardest thing about being a reporter is having to be presentable on air every day um, yeah. and making sure your hair is okay, your makeup's okay, because you're in so many different lightings. And it really is, it's a trial and error, you know, on what looks good on camera and what doesn't. And um, I think that that I'm learning that process very uh, quickly. Uh, and it's been great because I'm a member of many Facebook pages and uh, the reporters in my newsroom, we all exchange tips and tricks and how to do certain things. But I find that's um, been the biggest thing to take on just because of the fact that as a producer, you can really focus on just the journalism. You know, am I getting that content? Am I getting this? But on air, you really have to look presentable to even when you're rushing around uh, because you don't want to be a distraction to the viewer in any way and I think that's what it comes down to with on-air appearance it's not just about how pretty or beautiful you are it really comes down to are you distracting the viewer from what you're saying and the words that are coming out of your mouth and uh, you don't want any part of you to be a distraction whether you're wearing too shiny of a top or anything like that but because you want the viewers to really focus on the content and I think that's what a lot of that's about uh, but that's been a lot for me to take on because I I don't wear a full face of makeup every single day on my off days. Um, I don't do that. And so uh, just just getting accommodated to doing that every single morning and putting that as part of my routine um, as I get up, work out and, you know, making sure I have that extra time uh, to put myself together really um, as I would for any big event. Um, that's been that's been something to take on. Uh, but outside that, as far as the reporting goes, I would say that it's actually kind of funny because I I was actually talking to a, a lot of my former reporter friends and I said, oh, I can use all the lines that you guys used on me on our producers <laughs> when I go out. And it's uh, it's been kind of fun because um, 
I think as a producer, you get used to writing multiple those thoughts a day um, and having more than one story, you know? Um, and so it's been, it's been challenging in other ways because I think as a producer, a lot of the challenge is speed and organization and, you know, really having a clear focus and looking at an overall tone and where things are headed in a reporter role, you really have to focus on more on, you know, what elements am I going to take from my day and what am I going to leave out? And I find that to always be something that I'm struggling with every day is, you know, what part of this story do I leave out? And you have to ask yourself the question, what are the most important aspects of the story that I need to get in? Because you only have a certain amount of time as a reporter, whereas a producer, you had a lot more time to play with. Um, so it really makes you focus your energies and it makes you focus your questions you're asking people as well uh, so that you're not getting so much extra content at the end of the day that you feel overwhelmed by the amount of content that you you received. And you really need to look at yourself and say, can this be a breakout? Can this be the story for another day? Is this a nice follow? You know, And uh, making sure you remember to save that video at the end of the day so that you can continue working on it as the days go on. Right. Yeah, I think that was one of the that was probably the hardest thing for me is uh, what do I leave out of each story? Because otherwise, you're right. I mean, overwhelm is a real thing. And that would be one of the biggest things I would say to like young reporters is is just knowing, like you kind of it just takes time and experience, but you start to develop this like, sixth sense of, of what not to ask people and what not to include, because you just realize it's just going to be way too long of a story or, you know, bog it down. Or like you said, just you can be added on later. Um, so it got to the point where sometimes I wouldn't even ask a certain question because I'd, I'd be like, all right, that's just going to open up a can of worms, take us down a rabbit hole that's just going to waste, you know, 20 minutes and I'm not even going to use it. I mean, you know, you don't want to have that attitude too much because sometimes you might miss out on a good question, mm-hmm. you know, that gets the perfect soundbite that you actually didn't have. But, you know, once you have, you know, the things you, you came to that interview for and you're pretty sure that, you know, there's not something earth shattering, it's like, it, that even becomes a skill, just being able to get out of an interview and end an interview without feeling like you have to just keep, you know, uh, asking questions and droning on and on and on, um, because it's just gonna, you know, be, that's that that footage is just gonna be boggy down. So yeah, that, that's a very good point. Um, was there anyone in your in your life, you know, personally or or professionally who was like the most surprised by this? Who who said like, oh my god, I'm shocked? Or you know, can you think of anyone who? you know, I don't know if it would have been your parents or a, a friend or somebody at your last station or, or, or you know, was there anyone who was shocked? Um, I would say I think a lot of the people at TAE were probably shocked by it because they didn't discuss it very openly with TAE uh, co-workers. Because truthfully, too, I I didn't want other people's opinions getting into my head. Um, I When I make big decisions for my life, I like to make sure that I'm asking a few trusted people that I know uh, that I can rely on their guidance and I take their opinions and um, I factor their opinions in with my own because I know I can trust their guidance and they've always led me in the right direction. Um, Because I think if you ask too many people their opinions and you tell too many people their plans, you can become overwhelmed by what other people think and what are, how are other people going to react to something? And I think um, I found that with my whole career that people care way too much about what other people think. And at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is what do you think and what's going to make you happy? And so I think you need to choose certain people in your life that you really trust and that they know you very well and share your dreams and aspirations with them and see what they have to say about it. And that's what I did. And, uh, and, you know, everybody who I think on, was on that level with me um, knew that I could do it and that I could probably do anything that I wanted to do. Uh, but I, I'm sure there was a lot of people who were shocked because truthfully, Bo, I didn't I didn't share it with a lot of people for the same reason, because I myself was going back and forth because I said, you know, producing was something I loved forever. But reporting was something I really wanted to try for a while. And um, it was something I was very split on in college and producing just came along first. And when I hit the ground with producing, it was amazing how fast it went. And I think that was because I was a very hard worker and I made sure to refine my skills to become very good at what I did. Um, 
And so it, it rose very quickly and I loved every minute of it, but it was the time of my life that it was time for a change. And I was starting to get into content where I wanted to take um, some more ownership of it and have more time to put into that content because um, as a producer, you just really don't have that time. Whereas a reporter, if something is really, and you probably know this, um, I always think about that story that you pitched all the time about that school at the end of the year that you have a story you really like and you want to dive more into it and you think there's more there. Um, as a producer, it just doesn't sometimes give you that time where as a reporter, you do have that time to go deeper with things. And knowing that I wanted to go the investigative route, um, I was, I, I made the decision, you know, I not only want to go investigative, but I want to be able to take ownership of my work in the future. And that's what I'm working towards. And I'm very excited by it. I'm very glad I made the move. Uh, it's, it's funny how natural it felt. There's uh, certainly everything when you make a change, you're going to have to adjust some of the things you do, but I think it's been going very well. And uh, I will say that I've gotten great feedback and I think that's a credit to, to the people that I allow and surround myself with that everyone has been so incredibly supportive and truthfully, I have not received a negative comment yet from anyone. Um, and in fact, I've had many people who I know who are in very large markets, give me feedback on my work and, They've been helping me refine things and they've been just really, really encouraging me and telling me, just go, go, go. You, you're doing it. Just go um, and, you know, dive deeper into this, look deeper into this. And it's incredible how many people have reached out to me because they want to see me succeed. And I think that's really great. And that says a lot about our industry that there are more people than you think that will support you with what you want to do. You just need to articulate what you want, because I think a lot of people don't say out loud what they want sometimes. And yeah. when you tell people what you want, there are people there that will help you get it. And I think with my case, that was the same way. Um, you know, I was telling everyone that I possibly could in the investigative field, I want to get into investigative and they've been nothing but supportive of me. And it's been great. It's, it really has. I'm so glad I made the change. Um, you know, obviously there's certain things I I'll always love about producing, but I love reporting just as much and I can't wait to see where it takes me. And I plan on staying on the trail for as long as they'll have me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's awesome. It's very exciting to watch uh, from afar. I mean, I, I like change in general and, and uh, obviously I'm a, I'm a big fan of reporting myself. So it's, it's cool to see someone, uh, you know, make that transition and, and try it out and get into it. So, I mean, was it, was it difficult for you to, you know, realize that, that with this job that you took, um, that you would be going to a smaller market? Like, was that hard or, or no? Yeah, I mean, I think in a way it does, because you still bring a large market mentality into um, the same uh, facility. But I think, you know, for me, I, it was a market that was giving me opportunity. And uh it was giving me a huge opportunity for the things I wanted to do too, because since I am so close to the Capitol, there's so many opportunities for deeper dives and investigations here. And uh, because I'm somebody who brings that type of experience to the table, a lot of those stories are just naturally coming my way. Um, whereas in larger markets, uh, maybe I wouldn't have had those opportunities. I might have had to start it right on the weekends, um, you know, and I wouldn't, I would have had to wait years to get the kinds of stories I wanted. And I think, I think people put too much stake in, am I a large market or am I a small market? I think there's no price that you can put on personal fulfillment and happiness and the types of stories that I've been allowed to do in my market um, are incredible. And um you know, I've, I started off Monday through Friday, um, just hitting the ground running because my news director knew from the start, I want to be covering harder news. I want to be covering things that, you know, can lead to deeper dives. And he's given me every opportunity that I've asked for. And he's been so incredibly supportive with it. And everyone at my station has been wonderful as well. I think it all comes down with the attitude that you approach things with as well, because, um, if you think you're better than everybody else, I don't think you're going to get very far in life because you're not going to open yourself up to learning from everybody. I think there's always something you can learn, no matter what market you're in, no matter who you're surrounding yourself with. There's always people who can teach you things, and that's the that's the attitude I take towards it, and I take it as a huge opportunity uh, because, as I said, 
I could be in a larger market where I'm working really bad hours and not getting great stories. Um, and it, it, so it paid off because of the fact that I started from day one doing stories that I love to do. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, it's a good, very good uh, attitude to to take. So um, what story um, would you say that you're most proud of uh, from your time as a, you know, the last, the prior 14 years or, or even the last few months, but, you know, in your career, what story are you, are, are you, that's probably hard. It's a difficult question because you've done hundreds, if not thousands, but wh- which one are you yeah. most proud of? I mean, truthfully, I, I was very proud of all our chronicles. Um, I am two time Edward R. Murrow winner for our chronicles. I won my Emmys through their chronicles. Uh, they were deep dives. Sally Wigan was just a wonderful inspiration to me. She is so incredibly supportive. She's a wonderful writer and uh, she's, just been you know a really great person to ask advice for um, sure. and she really wants to see other women succeed in this industry as yeah. well as men for people um, who, for people real can... real quick for people who don't know um chronicle is a, a series that um is it it's four times a year i think it's quarterly um or maybe mm-hmm. even even more sometimes but that uh the hearst broadcasting company does at certain stations like boston and pittsburgh and some others. And it, it's a lot of time goes into it months and months and they pick a topic. Um, anything from, you know, fun outdoor activities in the region to really hard hitting stuff like the opioid epidemic. And Jamie was, um, you know, you were often what, like the, the pretty much the lead producer for those entire, uh, yeah. and, right. uh, and we did, um, we did a lot of interesting topics. I mean, we did, um, drilling, we did police, uh, low small town police departments and financial problems they were facing, which I took a lot of pride in. And then Chronicle Compassion Cannabis was one of my favorites that we ever did because it was me, Sally, and Brian Caldwell, who's just an incredibly talented photojournalist. Um, I'm sure you've worked with him, Bo. Um, and we just really put a lot of heart in that. But I would say truthfully, Bo, the, the one that I'm most proud of is the one I'm currently working on. Um, and that's, uh, I started you know, reporting, um, freelance reporting on in July for Fox 43. And um, within two months, I uh, really hit the ground running on um, a, a, a problem that's happening right now in Lebanon County. That's uh, where Lebanon County put a probation rule into effect that um, made several people uneasy um, and they, they did it for a lot of reasons, uh, but it was to prohibit people on probation from using medical marijuana. And uh, all of our stations were doing that story. I mean, I think every station in our market did it, um, but I really wanted to dive deeper into it. And that was one of those stories that I, I really wanted to look more into. And I think that was from my background in Chronicle Compassion and Cannabis, just because I had covered um, the evolution of medical marijuana and and the laws that it took and a lot of the politics behind it um, leading up to that point, I really want to dive deeper into that. And so I worked very hard on that story to try to find a character in that story that would really, you know, develop what, what exactly was the issue from the position of people who were on probation um, and what is the issue from the people who are on the side of the court. Um, and a lot of phone calls led me to Melissa Gass, who she lives with epilepsy and she is on probation and she can no longer take her medical marijuana because she is on probation. And uh, I sat with Melissa in her house and we had a discussion and um, I put the story on the air and I actually um, was able to get the judge who put in the order, Judge John Tilwalk on the phone. And I remember that day was a crazy day because um, he had called me uh, later in the day deadline because I'd found Melissa um, later in the day as well and I went straight to her house when we found her and that story the ACLU saw it I guess and Melissa was invited to the Capitol um, about a week later and then the ACLU ended up taking up her case and now the case is headed to the state Supreme Court so I'm incredibly proud uh, and I think that shows what can happen when you take the time to make a few more phone calls than maybe your competition's making. And it really paid off in dividends for me because 
you know, I was looking for stories that would make a large impact on our area. And I think this is one of them. It's, it's a story that could end up impacting how policies are set, perhaps across all 67 counties in Pennsylvania. And uh, there are side, both sides of the stories uh, have points on which they're going to argue in front of the state Supreme Court. And Pennsylvania State Supreme Court will decide who uh, they're going to side with on this. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this case. Yeah, that's a perfect example. And it's kind of interesting to hear you pick a story that's more recent after after 14 years and covering the, you know, Pittsburgh Tree of Life synagogue shooting and, and many, many other huge stories in, in Pittsburgh. Um, I actually think it's cool that you picked one that you just recently are working on right now. And, and that, uh, you know, again, that you have a lot of ownership in like, I mean, not that you didn't have ownership in other ones, but you just have a very big stake in this one. And, and you know, personally, you know, took the time to make those phone calls and go that extra mile to uh, push it across the, the goal line. And, and, you know, it looks like it could make a huge change. So uh, one way or the right. other. So, and, yeah. Yeah. And it will be very interesting to see how it plays out because it's, I think it exposes a bigger problem that's happening across the nation right now that marijuana laws just are not all on the same page across the nation. And it's putting a lot of people um, in the middle of deciding which laws to follow. And that's what's interesting about Lebanon County court side, because they have to decide whether to follow federal law or state law in this. And then you have the people who are on probation who say, well, we're following the law in the state. Why can't we have medical marijuana? And so there's a lot of people in this who I would say are being impacted. And that's what I find most interesting about it, that, um, it's not just such a black and white issue. There's a lot of gray area in this issue, and it's because there's so many conflicting laws when it comes to medical marijuana and marijuana in general across the nation right now. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned Sally Wiggin earlier. For, and for those people mm-hmm. you know, outside of Pittsburgh who don't know her, um, she's basically like a news legend in the city of Pittsburgh. She's, <laughs> she's very humble. She hates when people say that, actually, which is kind of funny and ironic, but she is. She's a news legend in the city of Pittsburgh. I mean, there's t-shirts with her face. There's, you know, she's just been doing doing it forever. And she just retired last year. But um, she had she had been a, a, a fixture in, in the market and uh, is a very nice person, a very smart person who you had the chance to uh, work with a lot one on one through the Chronicle series and through some other means as well. So, I mean, for people who don't know her, I mean, what, what is Sally like behind the scenes? And, uh, you know, why was it so rewarding to work with, you know, there's a lot of young, young people in the industry now, and you and I are, are in our thirties, but you know, what, it, what, it, what was valuable about working with someone with so much experience? I think what's valuable about Sally is that she's incredibly honest. Um, and I always appreciated people in this industry who were honest and didn't try to tiptoe around you. Um, because I feel like if you want to reach solutions, you need to be truthful with people and she was wonderful in the way she always approached you because uh, it would always be feedback with also a bit of advice and a compliment. You know, it would be one of those things that she would tell you what you were doing really well all the time. And she would also tell you things that she wanted to look into. And she was always um, such a joy to work with because there was no ego with her really. It was, it was one of those things that she would go, you would go out on a shoot with her and everyone would know her. Every single person would know her. Um, but she would have no problem housing a donut right in front of every single person that knew her. I mean, she just, she's, she is Sally, whether you are her coworker or you are a stranger on the street, she is the same person to you, no matter who you are, no matter what your status is. And I find that delightful in a person that there is no errors about her. She is the person she is. And that makes her incredibly easy to work with because you can anticipate things that she likes and it, it makes you um, anticipate what she might like in a script and um, what what questions uh, she needs for interviews and things like that. Because there was a lot of times too that um, if she wasn't available, I might have to go out with Brian and pick up those interviews or I would have to set up a lot of those things for her when she was near the end of her career because she wasn't in the building all the time because she was... Um, uh, winding down towards retirement and she was just wonderful and I think what was the best part about her is no matter what you gave her she came in well researched and she knew every single thing about the person she was interviewing and I think that shows 
how much work she put in to everything she did. And Sally really has just been wonderful. And even now, her and I will chat. And she was one of the people who was really a big cheerleader for me to go on air as well when I shared that with her that I was even thinking of doing it. She's one of the first people that said, yes, you definitely should do that. You should do it. And um, I think that that's a real credit to her that she doesn't want to just see herself succeed. She wants everyone around her to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned your friend, uh, Lauren Sweeney earlier, Lauren and I aren't <laughs> incredibly close, but I've, I have known her a very long time and she's been immensely actually helpful to me as well. Um, even as someone who she doesn't know that well, we both went to Penn state as you did. I did not know you at Penn state. I, I did kind of vaguely know Lauren, um, through a friend of a friend. And I remember the, the friend said, yeah, you should, you should meet her and talk to her. You know, she might be able to give you some advice. I was actually kind of struggling my freshman year at Penn state. Uh, just right. to kind of to kind of get used to it, and yeah, Lauren was like, "Hey, you got to join this club, you know, PSN TV, and you know, you got you got to get into it, man. You got you got to do it." And and so I did. I didn't even know about that club till she told me about it, and I joined, you know, kind of like the student TV station. And then it was several years later, like like five five or six years later, I was at my first market in Texas, and I I think I was talking to her through Facebook or something. I hadn't talked to her in a long time, and. Um, she mentioned IRE, which is the Investigative Reporters and Editors um, Conference and, and Association or, or whatever it is, just the group. Um, and uh, she said, you got to do this. If you like investigative, you have to get involved in this. This is like the preeminent thing in the country for investigative reporters and anchors and producers. And, and so I did. I did eventually. I, I delayed a, a little bit. Unfortunately, I waited a few years later, but I did go to one of the conferences and it, it, it kind of changed my life, you know, for the better. So I do. Oh, owe yeah. Her. And it's great. I would highly suggest anyone goes to IRE. I know you've talked about IRE in your former podcast, Bo, but I mean, I, if you're a budding journalist who really wants to get into great content, that's the place to do it. I mean, people are so supportive of you. Even if they're not in your market, they will just support you from day one. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, the, the ideas that you get and, and the, the willingness of people to share, and that's because like journalism really is at the end of, at the, end of the day, like a community and, you know, people... I mean, there's a little bit of competition for sure. And, and, you know, that that's natural, but like, ultimately they, they just want, you know, we're kind of all on the same team in a sense of, and we're on like team truth, you know, so we're trying to get the truth out there mm -hmm. and uh, you know, within markets, it can be a little bit competitive, but outside of it, I mean, people just, they want to help you because they, they also want the truth out there and they want to give you tools and techniques and tips on how to uncover the truth. You know, that's really what investigative reporting is. So yeah, it's an incredible group of people in the conference and it's always kind of morphing. I mean, it gets smaller one year and then bigger the next year and, you know, people drop out and people come in. And so there's always this kind of this new blood to it. I actually haven't been to it since uh, 2015. I really need to get back um, mm -hmm. to an IRE uh, conference for sure. Uh, absolutely. So, um, all right. So we'll, uh, we'll kind of switch gears a little bit. And, you know, you alluded to the, uh, the synagogue shooting um, before you know, just, just walk through in, in brief, um, you know, I think we have about 10 minutes left for today, but what, what was, uh, so we'll, we'll take a little bit of that time to talk about just what that was like for you as an executive producer to, to cover that, that horrific tragedy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, it's, it's interesting because I've covered what I would call three big, and I say big as in high impact stories where a lot of people in the nation are watching uh, probably throughout my career. And that would be the Baltimore riots after the arrest of Freddie Gray, um, the Pulse shooting in Florida. I was sent down there to assist crews after the Pulse shooting. And then the synagogue shooting that happened in Pittsburgh. And I'll say for my day that day, um, I, it's, it was one of those days that, you know, just was like any other day, you know, and I woke up, I remember I woke up very early. I actually drove past the synagogue that morning because I was heading down to a Penn State game oh, and it wow. was pouring, it was pouring down rain. And I remember the, the drive was just crazy. And, uh, I heard my phone go off. I was only a few minutes outside of State College and my phone started buzzing and I, I knew alerts were going off, but that's not uncommon for any news person's phone. I mean, I have multiple news apps on my phone, um, but I knew it was specifically coming from Pittsburgh stations because of the sounds they made. Um, and I wanted to check what it was, but it was, it was such heavy rain. You know, I also did not want to wreck my car at the time. So after I heard a couple, I thought, geez, you know, that's, that's more than you would normally 
here go off at this time uh, and on the weekends, let alone. So I pulled over the car and I looked at my phone and at that point it only said there was reports of shots fired um, near the synagogue, if I remember correctly. And uh, I remember I, I immediately called Baylor Long um, at the station and I said, what's going on? And uh, I said, do you need me to come back in? Uh, because I was heading to the game and I didn't want to get into the game and then not be able to get back out. I think, I think when something big happens in your community and I, that's when things divide between who, um, who's really a journalist in your, in your um, community too, because it, those are one of the stories that you would drop anything because you want to be back there and you want to cover those sorts of things, not because you like that it's happening or you get off on the excitement of it. Um, it's one of those things you want to cover it because you care about the community and you want to make sure those stories are told in a way that is correct on TV and you want to give the respect and um, help people through the fears because at that point it was unclear where even the gunman was at that point. Um, and that's a huge safety concern as well for the entire community if a gunman is loose and we didn't know where the gunman was at that point. Um, and I remember I, he said, well, we're hearing reports that there are people dead. And I said, off the record, how many are they saying? And he said, we're hearing, you know, up to 10. And I said, I'll be in, but uh, it's going to take me two hours to get back. Um, so what I did was I literally, I was five minutes away from my friend's house where I was supposed to go to the game with her. And I handed my ticket to her out the window. I said, just grab a friend and take my ticket. I'm heading back. So I drove back to the rainstorm. And I remember I changed in a sheets bathroom um, and it was halfway back to Pittsburgh <laughs> and everyone in the sheets bathroom was talking about what was happening in Pittsburgh. Um, because I had, I had multiple layers on at the time um, because it was supposed to be a cold game. So I was taking off layers in the sheets bathroom real quick because um, I knew the moment I hit the door, I wasn't going to be leaving the control room. It's one of those things that um, as a producer, you know, you're going to be up there for hours. Um, so you want, you want to make sure that you are ready to stay when you hit the door. Um, so I was taking off layers in the bathroom and it was the only thing people were talking in the bathroom to me about. And um, I think people started asking me what was going on because um, they were asking me why I was changing the bathroom. And I said, oh, I have to go back to work. Um, and they, they were asking me what was going on with it. And I remember I came up to the control room and uh, Nick Matoni was up there, I believe. And I, I forget who the other producer was. I think it might've been Connie. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, but at that time I took over, the coverage. Um, I, I can't remember what time it was. And we were already on the air wall to wall uh, with a fairy skeleton crew. I remember Mike Clark came in. He apparently wasn't even ready to go on the air. He came, he stopped by apparently because he was heading to the gym or something like that. And so uh, if you watch the progression of Mike Clark that day, you'll see that he starts getting WTA gear on as the day goes on because he was not even supposed to be at work that day. And he just ran out there to go cover it. Um, because it's one of those situations that is all hands on deck. But I think for me, whenever I was taking over that coverage, I think, okay, and you can talk about it from a uh, perspective of a reporter, but you have to cut through the chaos in a situation like that. And you want to immediately put some people at ease, number one, because it is such a high emotion day and it's going to be such a long day ahead of everybody. But the number one most important thing to me as a producer walking in that room was that we were setting the correct tone um, because I didn't want to be scaring people and I didn't want to be over dramatic because there were many people that day who were suffering. And um, it was very important that we set the correct tone, I believe. Um, and I think we did a very good job with that um, where we let certain moments speak for themselves. Um, I remember the candlelight vigil that night. Um, Sheldon Ingram was out there and we made sure that, you know, there were time periods where we just let it be silent. And I think uh, a lot of times you have to really step back and say that a, a reporter and anchor doesn't always need to be talking. Sometimes people just want to see what's going on. And I think that candlelight vigil 
was part of that where you could feel the emotion you could just you could feel the community just really in pain and there was no words that needed to be spoken at that moment you could just show the video and let it speak for itself yeah that's a that's an important i think uh thing that people should keep in mind you know covering stuff like that and you know, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that really is a testament, the fact that you, you know, essentially that day drove four hours through rain to, to cover a story on your off day is a testament to, you know, you as a journalist. And, and look, I mean, it's okay if someone doesn't want to do that. That is actually yeah. okay. It just means that they're not, I mean, you know, this is going to sound like cocky or something. It just means that they're, they're not as much of like, cut out to being a journalist and that's okay. Like right. you don't have to be a journalist, but it just, it's just, it's just a true thing. It's like the people who are willing to come in on their off day and provide that coverage, you know, to their community, they love what they're doing. They love what they're doing and, and, you know, or they love it the most, let's put it that way. And, and again, not to be confused with that. They love tragedies. That's not true, but, no. but you know, they, they, they love no matter what it is, you know, whether it's a victory parade for the, the big Super Bowl win, or if it's, you know, something bad they, they want to be the one you know trusted to tell the community what's going on and you know similar story for me I was also um off that day it was a Saturday you know but I think both you and I had worked late the night before till about midnight yes. so and well, uh, it's I, so funny though because I remember that night before being the most fun because you had your Halloween costume that you brought in and I just remember thinking it was gonna be such a great week ahead and we all left on such a high note the night before and then for something like that to happen the next day I think I mean it's our community too we all love we all love Pittsburgh we I mean I loved everybody who was in that community I love Squirrel Hill and the fact that it happened there just devastated me as well but on that day I think you know all of us were impacted by that story yeah absolutely um it was just, it was just, yeah, there, there's words don't do a good job of describing it, but um, yeah. Um, well, and I think so there was a, there was a moment that you had where I remember you interviewed a relative of one of the victims very, very soon. It was that night. Um, and I thought you did a very good job with that interview, handling that interview, because it's one of those things that, you know, in those situations, it's so tragic for those families that you don't, uh, it's it's hard to handle your emotions as a journalist as well, seeing people in that much pain and seeing that much hate come to your community. But I thought you handled that interview so well in composing yourself um, and in, in asking her those questions while she was very upset. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was that was wild that she uh, this woman was just walking down the street from the synagogue in the rain at, at like 1 a.m. No, 12, 12, 30 a.m., um, you know, basically, uh, obviously less than 24 hours after the shooting. And, uh, we just kind of started talking with her and, and we were the only crew there. And, and, uh, it was emotional that interview. I, I still remember her name, Bonnie, Bonnie wax was, uh, was her name. She yeah. was like the, I think and Melvin was her was yeah. the victim. Melvin. Yeah. Melvin wax was her, I think brother-in-law or something like that. But, um, yeah, so, uh, that was a, it was a, oh, a long, a long, yeah, uh, and I want to say this too, just as a, as a thing, because now I've covered two similar things, but when that happens in your community too, I think, I think um, it's such a shock and it's one of those things that you can't go outside your community without constantly being reminded of it. It's on store windows, it's in flowers, it's in memorials, and you can see how much it's affecting people. And I think when I hear a lot of people talk to me, um, that news doesn't matter anymore. I point to places like that. And obviously, you know, the Penn's victories and stuff like that too, everybody's watching. But in a case like that, I had friends who were watching our coverage for hours and texting me throughout the whole thing. Everyone was watching the news. And I think, I think it shows in that point that I think the news still matters to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And that's why you have to be very responsible in the way you're dealing with certain stories like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, it definitely still matters. Um, it's kind of unfortunate that it takes an event like that to kind of have it, um, you know, to realize that, but I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, when it, when it, when, when people, when it's something big enough, you know, people do snap their heads around and, and pay attention and, um, it's kind of a weird dynamic that again, you know, that it, that it takes something like that, but 
um, that's yeah, fine. I mean, you know. yeah, and it's certainly nothing any journalist ever wants to cover. Nobody ever wanted to cover that. I mean, it was something that we felt like we had to cover because it happened. So, right, um, right, right, absolutely. At least that's from my perspective. I mean, I took no joy in covering that story, and in fact, I think after I covered that story, it it changed me as a as a person as well because. I mean, I'll never forget the amount of pain uh, that was in the community that day. But not only that, but the amount of resiliency that followed it. I mean, it was incredible to see how people responded to that hate with so much love and so much uh, willingness to push forward um, a positive message out of something so horrific um, because they wanted the victim to be remembered, not the shooter. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been a uh, fantastic conversation. It's awesome to uh, have the opportunity to catch up with you and uh, delve into uh, your transition, um, you know, from producing to uh, reporting, which I've been curious about. And uh, I think it's going to be instructive for a lot of people out there who, you know, whether it's switching from reporting to producing or producing to reporting, or maybe it's just someone who's, you know, in banking and wants to switch to something else. But, um, you know, it could be interesting to hear about your transition. Um, so if people want to find you online and reach out to you or follow you, uh, what's the best place to do that? And what are your uh, social media handles? Sure. Uh, Facebook, I have a public page, Jamie Bittner Media. You can also find me on my personal page, uh, Jamie Bittner. I'm on Twitter, Jamie Reports. I'm on Instagram, Jamie Reports. So uh, feel free to reach out to me and anyone who's going through their own, you know, uh, career adjustment and change, you know, I'm here to support you as well. So please reach out to me uh, because it's not as scary as you think. And you're going to be so much happier uh, when you decide to take chances on yourself. And that's what I always tell people. All right. That's a good message. And uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Thanks, Jamie. Good talking with you. Uh, talk yeah. to you later. Okay. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.